Well, welcome to another edition of Inside EMS, and Pulsera is proud to sponsor this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can create a robust community paramedic program at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And here he is, the man who is always with me, my good friend, the Smaller Spoon, Kelly Grayson. KG, how you doing? I'm I'm good. I, I thought I was the the man with the power too sweet to be sour. That's, but you can uh, you can be whatever you think you are, man. But the okay. realization is. But you know the realization. How's the week <laughs> going? How are things down there in world famous Louisiana? Raining. Uh, it's uh, we're we're in our our typical summertime pattern. Ninety percent humidity, ninety degree heat, and uh, uh, it's been raining so much lately. We're starting to see the animals pair off two by two. Uh, <laughs> And it just, uh, um, it, it gets tedious after a while. Well, I got to tell you, man, if it's anything, once the firstborns start to be born with wet feet, you know that there's a change. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't worry about it. But uh, so, Kelly, in this show, I mean, we have to go ahead and start to listen to the uh, emails that we're getting from the fans. And they miss us talking yeah. about the stories that are in the news. I mean, we were used to do that back in the day Mm -hmm. and we tried to be a little bit more evergreen, right? We tried to bring a little bit more evergreen content, but every so often it may be good just to look at the stories of the day and see how they're going to impact inside EMS. And I think that's what we're going to do today, but go ahead and give us our first story. Yeah. And and, uh, this, this will likely be an evergreen topic as well, or or more maybe like a uh, Jason Voorhees topic that keeps uh, arising from the dead uh, uh, as much as we try to kill it. Uh, The Colorado law restricting EMS use of ketamine went into effect uh, uh, this past week. Uh, The governor signed it, uh, signed it into law, uh, severely restricting uh, the EMS use of, of ketamine uh, in requiring uh, the the several uh, advocacy organizations spoke out against it and and managed to to have the the uh, provision that you have to weigh a patient before you can give ketamine uh, change to at least um, uh, I think two or three providers have to agree on the patient's weight uh, but it's uh, you know this is something that is not only going to affect uh, Colorado paramedics, but a lot of uh, a lot of other states are looking at this. Uh, North Carolina was looking at uh, restricting ketamine use in the field, and uh, our my own agency has taken note of this, and they are carefully monitoring uh, our ketamine administration, doing one hundred percent CQI on on any patient with excited delirium uh, or any patient we sedate with ketamine. Uh, just to make sure that we're we're crossing all our T's and dotting our I's. But Chris, it it sucks when politicians uh, feel the need to to dictate medical care, uh, and I think that's what's happened here. Yeah, so I have to agree with you, and I think that this is you know it's the outcry is what it is, right? So politicians yeah. always want to put their hands into things that uh, they think is going to see them in good favor, right? And this is something they have no knowledge about. And this is because of the case that happened there in Colorado. We're going to have folks on from Colorado that's going to talk about this uh, law as well. And uh, so it's really timely that this is coming up now. And one of the things that we need to look at is we really have to do our job better and cleaner than the next guy, right? I mean, because this is what happens is now people are going to start to, you know, have challenges to the things that EMS is doing. Some of these people may have the ear of, of lawmakers and politicians, 
And now we have people who don't know uh, their butts from a hole in the ground. I think that's a hole in the ground. Uh, and they're trying now to set policy in EMS. And you know what they did, Kelly? They set policy in EMS. It's good that they changed it, at least to say, let's get some coordination to say, I agree with you. I think this patient weighs X, which now allows us to still be able to utilize the drug. And again, uh, I've been a ketamine fan for a long time. You know, it, it's come into our uh, formulary and it's really a great drug that that treats a lot of different things. And we, we've got to really be careful here uh, because now in the society, in, in, the, in the days that we're in, everything that we do is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be analyzed. It's going to be uh, legalized or illegalized, whatever you want to call it. And it's something to be worried about. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, the, 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 the case reports of, of respiratory depression and adverse events in, uh, after administration of ketamine uh, are enough for the vast majority of, of progressive and, and responsible EMS agencies to, to use caution uh, when administering the drug. Uh, we didn't need uh, a, a legislative act to, to tell us to, to do a better job for our patients. And, and the thing is, is the, I can see that the, the intent behind the bill, uh, it, to, if we're being very generous with their, uh, about their motives, uh, the intent is, is to make sure that we're doing, uh, administering ketamine for medical reasons and not simply to make law enforcement restraint and custody easier. And, and any paramedic worth his salt should know that already. And any medical director should, should make it absolutely clear to the, the personnel under his charge uh, or her charge that, that that is the case. We are to do this for medical reasons. And ketamine administration is a, is a, a medical decision to make, not a law enforcement decision. However, uh, like, uh, like most things, when we get legislators involved, things get cumbersome and the law of unforeseen consequences kicks into high gear and, and it's only going to make this thing worse. Uh, the, you know, the, the advocacy organizations in Colorado are, are no fan of this. Uh, MSAC has, has spoken out against it and make it uh, basically equate it to political grandstanding. And I think that's what it is. However, this is a perfect object lesson in, in advocacy or the lack thereof. You know, these decisions are not made in a vacuum. Uh, and, and we get these kind of things dictated to us because we're not speaking out loudly enough and advocating for our profession. I wonder how many grassroots uh, uh, crew members on a truck called their legislature and told them this was a really bad idea for this bill. Or was it just a handful of uh, EMS advocacy organizations uh, and, and, you know, speaking on behalf of their dues paying members? Uh, I would imagine that it's just the, the advocacy organizations and very few uh, uh, EMTs or paramedics spoke up individually about it. Yeah, that's funny, man, that you say that, because it seems that we are very, very restrictive. I don't know restrictive is the word, but how about selective? in what we decide to complain about, right? There are some mm -hmm. things that people will complain about that really, uh, you know, I think is, are, is superficial. And then when it comes to things like this, are they really getting the, the people behind those laws or behind those uh, proposed changes 
to really kind of make a difference. But again, I think we're going to have to follow this. I think we're going to have to watch it. Like I said in the opening, uh, we're going to have somebody on from up there in Denver. I'm not going to give away who he is, um, but uh, he has a lot of great insights that he'll be on in a future show. And we actually need to schedule that with him. But I'm going to go ahead and talk about mine. And mine really doesn't come from a news story. It came out yesterday, and it was an article written by Linda Willing, uh, leading the team. And it's how EMS chiefs can end bullying and harassment. And I think that I've really been on this pitch, Kelly, for a long time. And she kind of talks about, you know, many fire departments put considerable resources into preventing and mitigating workplace harassment. But I got to tell you, as soon as I read that, I actually sat back in my chair. That's the first line of the article. And I said, yeah, but how many EMS leaders and how many fire chiefs precipitate that behavior and encourage that behavior. And she went on, she talked about three types of harassment. Uh, she talked about officers' role in stopping workplace harassment and why harassment and bullying goes unreported in fire and EMS. So it's really a great article. And I go ahead and give it my endorsement to give it a read and really kind of think about the things that are going on inside your own departments. But one of the tangents that I wanted to get off on, Kelly, is that as EMS leaders, we've got to do our job better and cleaner than the next guy. I, I say that all the yeah. time, but EMS leaders have to be able to be on the stellar side of excellence. Yeah. As an EMS chief, no one was able to come to me and say anything derogatory about a uh, worker, a coworker. So now that doesn't mean I can't say, oh, so-and-so screwed the pooch on this call. That's a little bit different. But to say, you know, they're not smart or they're not funny or or they're toxic, or they're, those are things that I didn't want to hear. The other thing I didn't want to hear is rumors about other people. The only, the other thing that I didn't want to hear is jokes about other people. I didn't want to hear inappropriate comments about people. And I was the one who was setting that standard. I didn't want my supervisors to do it. Their job yeah. was to lead the workforce. Their job wasn't to make fun of the workforce. And I, I say this a lot of times in my talks, Kelly. I mean, how many times have we done this and I pull my cell phone out of my pocket and I look at the screen and make a face and then show it to the people in the audience, right? Because those are yeah. things that we see supervisors do all the time. So I go ahead and commend uh, Linda on her article and please go ahead and check it out and read it. But the, the, the catalyst for this goes to the fact of what you permit, you promote. And if you were the leader, if you were the supervisor in your organization and you allow this type of behavior to happen, you are just as culpable as the people who are saying it. And you need to be disciplined first before anyone else is even talked to. Yes, most most definitely. And, you know, it, it brings to mind uh, this is a problem that kind of helps me segue into our, our next uh, news article uh, along the same vein. Um uh, bullying and, and harassment in EMS, particularly against uh, the, the female practitioners of our profession. Uh, you said it perfectly. Uh, what, you, what you permit, you promote. Um, Nancy puts it a different way. Uh, acceptance is teaching. If you don't actively speak up against it, you are tacitly saying that this behavior is okay. And, you know, we, we've, <laughs> I'm a knuckle dragon. Uh, white, heteronormative, cisgender, male paramedic from the South. Uh, but, you know, even I can evolve uh, and have evolved. <laughs> you know, I don't know about some of my neighbors, but even I have evolved. And, and there are certain things that maybe were blown off uh, a, a, a few short years ago that are just not kosher now. 
and and EMS is a different profession than it was. And and those of us, you know, males and 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 people in leadership or influential positions or positions of power have to understand uh, and, and maybe look at things from, from the harassed person's eyes. Uh, we have a hard time seeing uh, the effects this has if we haven't been personally harassed or bullied ourselves. You know, uh, you know, Chris, I think back to how I treated some of my classmates in high school, uh, and I am deeply ashamed uh, the, the kind of crap I did under peer pressure because I want to be one of the cool kids with, uh, with the rest of my friends. And, and we picked on some kids mercilessly. And, uh, I see those guys now and, and thank God, uh, they don't seem to hold a grudge, uh, but God, they ought to, uh, and, and, but that kind of thing still persists among grown adults, uh, in our EMS profession, uh, you, you, we've got to, to stand up against it and, and, uh, and condemn this wherever we can. All right, Kelly. Well, before we hit our next story, I want to go ahead and hit, uh, I want to go ahead and share a little bit about our sponsor, whether community paramedicine or the routine transport from COVID-19, the STEMI to behavioral health. Pulsera connects you in real time with any member of the care team. Pulsera makes communicating across organizations and regions easy for any patient type. Simply create a dedicated patient channel build your team, and communicate in a way that's best for your team and the patient case. For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A.com slash EMS. KG, what do you got for us next? Five female paramedics awarded $1.8 million in a Chicago sexual harassment case. Department audit found more than half of the female paramedics uh, in Chicago FD or sexually harassed on the job. You know, if you can physically do the job, you shouldn't have to. If you're a female, if you can physically do the job, that should be all it takes. You shouldn't have to be one of the boys in the ambulance squad room or in the firehouse. You should be able to be yourself and not have to, to uh, um, overlook boorish behavior on the part of your male counterparts. Uh, and it's sad that this kind of stuff still goes on. Um, you know, I, I, I can't pretend to understand it. Uh, I've never been sexually harassed. That's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that people would sexually harass cause I'm, I'm, I'm frankly not that attractive. So I just, uh, but man, um, how, how some people actually think that this sort of thing is okay and how it flies is beyond me. You know, I think that one of the things that you, when you were saying that, and I was listening to you with such great admiration for the way you're able to put sentences together, but um, <laughs> oh, the sarcasm is dripping from your voice right now. But one of the things that I thought when you were talking, though, was um, we're in the year 2021, right? Yeah. And th there was a story that was on the news, and I don't remember where it was, and, it, and it's irrelevant where it was, where a man was berating another man with uh, bigoted comments and they were, they videoed it and uh, it was posted on social media. And then people showed up to his house to protest to say, it's this type of behavior that is causing us challenges in our society. You know, we think about being biased towards other people. We think about being biased towards nationality we think about bi being biased towards religion and uh, race. I mean, it's 2021, man. What, what, what are we doing here, right? And then, yeah. but in the, in the profession 
of EMS in the fire profession, in the uh, EMS profession, in the hospital profession, we are still seeing this type of behavior against the the females in the workforce. And we've got to stop it, man. I mean, we can't evolve as a career field. Everybody's talking about, well, we need we need degrees so we can evolve. No, we need to treat all our members with respect. We need to treat all our members professionally. We need to treat all our members like they're members, their family. We say that they're family and it shouldn't be when just somebody's in an accident that we call them family. That's how we're going to evolve as a career field. It's not that we have degrees to evolve as a career field. Of course, we'll never evolve if we have things in the news that are saying we're harassing female professionals, we're harassing professionals that have different religions, we're harassing people that are different race. That's how we're going to evolve as a career field. Most, most definitely. And, and, you know, this is, this is not a new thing. You know, we've all decried the, the sad state of public discourse in the last four or five years and how, how uh, the normalization of boorish behavior has, has really uh, um, become prevalent uh, and people just talk horribly and treat each other horribly. Uh, but, this is, but, but women have been putting up with this for, for far longer than the last generation or so. Uh, yeah, well, Kelly, just, I mean, Kelly, just to add on to that, it's not just the women, man, there's, there's other, there's, well, you know, oh yeah, with, yeah, you know. you know, all right, so, and here's one of the things that I want to add on to this, DMS1 has very, been very gracious to me, and they're, they're cross-promoting some of my leadership podcasts that I do outside of EMS on the Ultimate Leadership Podcast, and they actually posted uh, yesterday a show that I did with a lady named uh, Jeannie Cisco-Meth, and she is an expert in workplace bullying. And we had a really great show on tips that leaders and workers can take to stop workplace bullying. So let's go ahead and jump off that topic. But again, I appreciate EMS One for sharing that. And my next story is going to go to Ohio. It's one of those, we like to add those feel-good stories, right? Um, And Ohio Fire EMS crews were honored for rescuing a boy with Down syndrome from a house fire. And, you know, that's the job. I mean, Dayton, Ohio, local fire department, collaborative firefighters were honored for the rescue of a young, for a rescue of a young boy with Down syndrome earlier this year. And, 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 you know, these are the guys that put the wet stuff on the red stuff and they're running into these you know, people will say that EMS providers are heroes and, you know, maybe, maybe we are, but not compared to the people who are, are facing the bullets, not compared to the people who are running into these fires to save people. And, uh, you know, we've, we've read stories and we've reported stories, you and I, Kelly, of firefighters that were, uh, have been fatally wounded uh, because they went in after somebody and the, and the building has collapsed around them. And, you know, but but this is really cool, man, that they went ahead and they uh, saved the young man uh, who was in the fire. Um, you know, his name was Sean. He's not a typical kid. He lives with Down syndrome and he was mostly nonverbal. And the firefighters who rescued him, you know, they they went in and said, you know, we're going to make sure that this we get this kid out. And uh, it, it merely made me kind of say, you know what, we, we talk a lot about the differences and the and the challenges between EMS and fire and EMS and dispatch and EMS and police. And, but man, when it comes down to it, you know, our brethren are heroes and tip of the hat, tip of the hat to them for the work that they did out there in Dayton, Ohio. 
Most definitely. And, and this is a, I love sharing stories like this. Uh, th- this is the kind of thing that we need to highlight in EMS. We see too many, we see too many of the, the bad things. Uh, and, and that's what makes the news. If it bleeds, it leads. Uh, bad news is the kind that travels uh, the fastest, but uh, these feel good stories uh, and tales of quiet heroism on, on the part of uh, EMS and, and public safety providers needs to be highlighted and kudos uh, to the guys with Dayton fire department. This is something that that I thought was kind of settled uh, settled uh, science, but uh, it, here it is uh, rearing its head in in twenty twenty one. This is an article that originally appeared in the National Association of EMS Physicians blog uh, and reprinted on EMS One about family presence during EMS uh, pre hospital resuscitation, and uh, it's amazing to me that we still have to advocate for this. But but I think of it. Uh, I know of, of uh, paramedics who, who kind of ignore our, our stay on scene and, and work the code on scene uh, protocols and dictates because they seem to run into an, an inordinate number of quote unquote volatile scenes, meaning I don't like dealing with, with uh, panicky family members uh, or I don't deal with, with grieving family members very well. Uh, and, and you still see a lot of people that, that uh, have a problem uh, being watched by family members during a resuscitation. But uh, the science is pretty, pretty clear cut on this, that the vast majority of family members who witnessed a resuscitation were, were benefited from it. Uh, and if given a choice, um, uh, the overwhelming majority of them would want to witness the resuscitation. And some of them would even want to participate in some way if that can be done. Uh, Chris, you know, We've been doing this forever. Uh, I've been doing this for, for close to 30 years now. And, and <laughs> I, we work codes in living rooms and we, I figured that's something we just had to get used to and, and learn to, to make work for us. Uh, it's amazing that we still have to convince people that this is a good thing and, and shouldn't uh, alter what we do. And it actually came out in the, in the previous uh, revision of the ACLS guidelines that we should yeah. allow we should allow family members to be part of that resuscitation. And, you know, as you mentioned, I've certainly had family members hold C-spine. I've had family members do CPR, um, you know, because this may be the last time they see them. Right. And because we give them false hope, right, Kelly? I mean, there, there are still EMS agencies that are transporting patients in cardiac arrest to the hospital. And that false hope is maybe they're going to be okay. And we need to be able to stay there in their home. We need to be able to do what we can do. And, and, you know, we have the skills, we got the knowledge, we got the experience to try to make a difference if we can. Um, One of the things that I've done in my codes is I've actually mentioned to the family, talk to him, talk to her, let them know you're here. uh, Let them know you love them. Let them know to come back. Um, You know, we're working very, very hard. I've actually stopped to make those statements um, because I want them to feel. And then, when we uh, are now getting ready to end uh, resuscitative efforts, they're watching it and they're mm-hmm. seeing all the things that we're doing. And I think that that's part of that closure. I mean, we know, we know from our experience that the saves are few and far between. And we need to ensure that the people who we're taking care of at that point becomes the family as well, that we're giving them the best care that we can as well. Yeah. And, and, and- that is that, that's a point that that uh, excellent point you make 
that that has been borne out and demonstrated by research in the past that the the families want to watch uh and usually when we terminate resuscitation efforts uh they are generally okay with us terminating it earlier than we normally would have otherwise. Uh, and not only that, that their family members who witness a resuscitation are less likely uh, to be angry and sued. Uh, this is something that's been borne out in, in, in research on the topic in the past. And, you know, you mentioned ACLS uh, um, guidelines stating uh, supporting family presence during resuscitation. I can remember when, when you know, PALS was was the 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 kind of thought leader in, in changing these these paradigms and and uh, introducing new innovations into AHA guidelines. And PALS uh, uh, a number of revisions ago put out a a very moving video about family presence during resuscitation and. And, uh, and death and dying, and and one of the providers in that uh, video uh, said something very telling. Uh, she said it it doesn't take any longer to, or, or it's not any harder to do your job with compassion. And and we have to be cognizant of the fact that not only are we working on one person, but we're working on an entire family as well. We're caring for an entire family when we're when we're working that resuscitation, uh, and um, they should be uh, be allowed to be with their loved ones uh, during that time. Well, Kelly, I agree with you 100. percent And I got to tell you, I mean, talking about the the stories that are in the news are very very is very very. Uh, you know, this is really what we base the show on, and it's good to kind of do yeah. this. And everybody out there, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Contact the Inside EMS team at the show at EMS1.com to share ideas, suggestions, and feedback. Or if you would like to join as a guest, Kelly, it's time to put the wraps on another show. Yeah, you've heard what we think, and we'd like to hear what you think, just as Chris pointed out. You can contact us at the show at ems1.com if you have ideas for a topic that should be addressed uh, or a guest we should have on. We welcome those that feedback, and uh, that's what we've been doing today is talking about the issues uh, that you've written us about. So for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.